So with that, we're going into a new series, kind of. Uh, it's a continuation of our spiritual gifts uh, series, but we have moved further along um, through some of the different gifts, and there's a third section of gifts I want to cover with you uh, this month. And so um, I'm going to be kind of bouncing back and forth between my PowerPoint. I don't know if I'll have the PowerPoint up for you if I'm doing this video, but I will make sure that any points that we have I'll be putting a couple times over for our note takers. So here's here's where we've been. Um, we have covered the team gifts, and we've covered the team gifts pretty well in depth, um, and all, all the way up to last week's uh, small group Sunday. Uh, we talked about evangelism, prophecy, teaching, exhortation, shepherding, mercy showing, serving, giving, and administration. The, the spiritual gifts, all of us have different gifts, again, as uh, the Spirit wills, when the Spirit in, um, lives within us, when we accept Jesus as leader and forgive in our lives uh, by saying, you're God, I, I'm not, I, I accept your forgiveness, and I want to follow you, and, and we start growing in these capacities that he's given us. And they are meant to be intertwined with one another uh, through the local body church. Uh, so if you have not yet taken your spiritual gift assessment, uh, well, that was pretty important for last week's small group um, activity, it, it's it's still available to you uh, and, and can give you a good running um, to have that, uh, that particular assessment and be able to go back through the different uh, studies on YouTube for those those different gifts and the different gifts of those around you, and to be able to self-evaluate uh, as we continue moving moving forward. <clears throat> and again, all those videos are available on our YouTube page and on our church page, TSF, uh, tsflife.com. Uh, but we are going to start uh, studying some different things here. Now, there's also the miraculous gifts. Um, the miraculous gifts are the ones that usually people are um, kind of more interested in because they're, they're harder to understand or the supernatural uh, gifts. And, and, I, and I get that, but sometimes we over-supernaturalize uh, or, or go for the emotional things or the big wow things more than the things that, that get our mission done. Um, but they, nonetheless, they definitely are gifts, and they are definitely part of our life today, and they, they definitely are gifts of the Spirit. They're awesome. Uh, and those gifts, and I'll repeat this twice, uh, is apostle, tongues, or speaking in tongues, interpretation of tongues, interpretation of tongues, miracles, and healings. So once again, apostle, tongues, interpretation, miracles and healing and we did go through those and talk about what each one is not as in-depth as the team gifts but we did go through them uh, with the miraculous gifts if you miss that and you want to go a little bit further into it um, go back into our videos again youtube church uh, website uh, on august 6th is when we went through those august 6th is part of that study it's called what's the purpose of spiritual gifts uh, what's the purpose of spiritual gifts? And we went through the miraculous gifts uh, to the point where um, I'm feeling led to at, at, at this point. Uh, we might come back and pick up those a little bit more in depth uh, in, the, in the future here as the Spirit leads. But what I want to start moving to now uh, is the enabling gifts. Uh, the enabling gifts in this particular set, uh, and I 1 Corinthians 12, that mentions these. Um, are the ones that power our other gifts, that power uh, us in our lives. And so the main thing I want to make sure that we don't do is that we start moving forward uh, more so with our spiritual gifts and how they work together and try to empower those by human effort. Um, we definitely have choices. We definitely have things we can do to grow in that capacity. But we don't power our spiritual gifts by human effort. It is by the enabling gifts of the Holy Spirit. And there's four of those, and I'll go through those with you. Uh, there's faith, discernment, wisdom, and knowledge. Again, the enabling gifts of faith, discernment, wisdom, and knowledge. 
and those are the ones I kind of I want to start going through uh, over the next four weeks, uh, specifically uh, today with faith. Now, you guys have heard me talk several times about this book here, um, your your gifts, or there's another version of it. Either, both of them seem to be almost identical. Uh, team ministry uh, gifted the soul. Don't buy both. Uh, again, they're almost like word for word identical. Um, and we've been going through th- this, um, some of the tools of this book as part of our study over the last several weeks. And um, there is a section in here on the enabling gifts. And I'm just going to re- read it to you. Um, as this, this is what it's got. The enabling gifts are catalyst gifts that tie your spiritual qualities to your spiritual gifts. A sp- Catalyst is an agent which, when added, speeds up the process of the other agents. In other words, the enabling gifts speed up the process of using the team gifts, thereby making them more effective. The enabling gifts are available to all Christians and should be sought by each of us. And then that's it. It's completely focused on team ministry. So we're going to, um, which is actually great. I think we've been using that for uh, a guide for our studies, um, and we'll do it, do it again. We're just going to study each one of these enabling gifts again starting out with with faith today so with that <clears throat> excuse me uh, we're going to go to hebrews 11 if you would get your bibles out <coughs> excuse me again uh, again if uh, there's bibles around the room and the baskets underneath the chairs uh, if you want to keep or still one of those um, you're more than welcome to them and then also we have uvision which is an app it's the most popular uh, Bible app in the nation. Uh, it's free to you in your app store, and you can do a search for local events, and you will find um, TSF in today's date. And when you open that, it gives you all the scriptures and a bu- and several other tools to either communicate or to be able to uh, study uh, as we go along through this, including all the Bible verses right there for you uh, to go through. So uh, when we come to Hebrews 11, uh, many of you might have already heard of Hebrews 11 it's it's somewhat uh, it's kind of like the junior version of another popular uh, chapter in the Bible uh, 1 Corinthians 13 is the love chapter um, and we hear that oftentimes read at weddings or different events it's the type of stuff that love songs are made out of uh, you know love is patient love is kind um, these three things remain faith hope and love but the grace of these is love um, and again very popular in weddings but but really in context um, why it absolutely is encouraging and challenging in every area of our life, uh, including our marriages uh, or relationships. It's um, really originally was written, Paul's um, intent was to talk to the church of Corinth about them having split, split issues in the church and them having division in the church. Um, but nonetheless, it's a beautiful chapter on love. Hebrews 11 is the faith chapter. Hebrews 11 is written to really highlight multiple testimonies of the the heroes of our faith, um, different people that followed God in the Old Testament, and how they were um, able to do things beyond themselves uh, because of faith. And it's just testimony, 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 testimony. Again, good summaries. If you want to do an interesting study sometime, go through each one and actually go back in the scripture and read the the full detail of their testimony uh, like we're going to do today with one of them uh, but just a, a, a great book of the Bible on faith it's it's just kind of a natural to go to if we're going to talk about the empowering that comes from faith and what that looks like but the key verse uh, by far when you get there is going to be a verse one uh, verse one is the definition of faith from the biblical standpoint and it says this, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. That, that's, that's the definition for faith. Faith is the assurance of things that we hope for. It's, 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 it's the, the conviction of the things that, that we can't see. Faith, faith is believing, die hard in the promises, in the leadings, um, in the inspiration of the Holy Holy Spirit as we follow Christ, um, this that that is in a nutshell faith. That, that's again another one of those good ones put on posting night, uh, put in your cubicle at work or someplace around the house that you see it every day. Um, again, it's it's a great one to take a uh, 
not a not a sharpie like this. It would be disastrous. But a, uh, a a dry erase marker and put on your mirror in your bathroom so you see it every morning. This is what faith is. This is how we as Christians move forward into things that are greater than uh, just ourselves. And so with that being on the table, um, the, the, the testimony that I want to look at is down in verse 7. Uh, so if you read that with me, it says, By faith Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, not seen, um, is reverent fear, constructed an ark for saving of his household. By this he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. One sentence, one sentence, but really magnifies the incredible testimony of Noah. Uh, and I know a lot of us have um, not basic knowledge of Noah. I know that a lot of us have, um, you know, at least at least the VBS version of Noah in our heads or the children's book version in our heads. Um, but I want to today go deeper into the scripture and just, re, if nothing else, refresh our, our, our minds and our hearts of the testimony of Noah so that we can uh, see it for its fullness and then maybe be able to learn some things from it when it comes to our own faith as well. So with that, we're going to leave Hebrews and you're going to go back to Genesis. <clears throat> Genesis chapter 6. I'm going to follow this through here. And in Genesis chapter 6, um, we're going to pick up his story, but kind of a little bit in. Um, but there's some nuggets that come before what I'm going to read that I want to make sure we have uh, before us that are just some interesting uh, nuggets. I think it will also help us understand just how awesome his faith was. Uh, for instance, from chapter 5, uh, if you want to look at this later, um, there's the, the genealogy of Noah that list from Adam to this daddy, this daddy, this daddy, this daddy, to Noah. And there's 10 generations. He, he's a descendant of Adam um, <clears throat> by 10 generations. And there's a couple of reasons I love that, um, that they do that. One is it shows that Adam was a real dude. You can't have a genealogy back to Adam without Adam being real. Um, I know that there are many out there that, uh, not many, but there are those out there that believe, uh, you know, Adam and Eve is a, a fairy tale, or it represents the force of people, or um, it's somewhat more like poetic or um, fictional uh, to represent a story of a point about sin uh, or the fall of man. Uh, I absolutely believe that Adam existed. Um, I don't think it's a salvation issue, but I, I do because Jesus talks about Adam as he's a real person, and uh, he's mentioned a few times throughout the scripture, and here we have um, him again in a genealogy that has physical evidence, physical linkage to um, him being a, a person. Same with Noah. So it shows us that Noah is not a fairy tale. Noah is not something that they came up with to scare people to follow God. Uh, this is an actual testimony of a person that lived. Um, in 532, uh, we find out that Noah was also over 500 years old at this point. I believe, if I remember correctly, that he lived to 700, somewhere in that range. Um, but, but he had been here 500 years before God called him about the ark, and that's a lot of living. Um, and that might sound odd to us today, because uh, we don't have that kind of life expectancy today. Uh, but when you do study the Old Testament in those early days, especially like in the Genesis area of things, you're going to find people living to 500, 600, 700. I think the oldest one in the Bible is like 932, something like that. Um, and there's different theories of why they lived longer then, um, as far as climate or as far as diseases or as far as whether or not they eat McDonald's. You know what I mean? There's a lot of different theories amongst that um, but I, I definitely think that God had a longer life expectancy during that time as he was populating the earth as well and so uh, keep in mind especially if you're, you're in your older years and you're thinking well what, God, what can God do with me he was not he's 500 before he heard that call from God so that that's something I, I want to keep it in mind and talk about as we go through 
uh, and then six, chapter six verse seven really kind of has a well, seven and eight really has an awesome statement about Noah. Uh, seven goes through just how tragic the world was at that point, how jacked up that it was, and we're going to talk about that. But voice eight just stands out to me. But and again, you guys know me. I like that word. I know we giggle every time I say it, but the word "but" in the Bible is an awesome thing. The world was train a train wreck. It was horrible, but. Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. And I love that phrase that I, I, I talked about, and we're going to talk about it again today. That phrase of, um, you know, like a couple weeks ago, we were talking about Moses. And when God called for him out of the bush, uh, we, we immediately go into all the excuses Noah, uh, Moses had. But in that first moment when God said, Moses, Moses said, Here I am, Lord. What, what a great response that is when God calls us or leads us or tells us something in the scripture to follow. Here I am, Lord. I love this phrase as well. How awesome would it be if I ever found out in any moment of my life, God just said, man, he's found favor in my eyes. That's just, it's a beautiful phrase. And and I don't want to take that away from knowing any way, shape or form as we go through this today. But those are kind of the, the precursors. I'm sure everybody's found Genesis by now. It was the first book of the Bible. If you didn't know that, it might, might help you find it a little bit quicker. But we're going to uh, read a little, talk a little as we go through, and then we'll talk about some of the things we can pull out of his life. Um, we're going to start on verse 11, chapter 6, where it says this, Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight, and the earth was filled with violence. And God saw the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. And God said to Noah, I have determined to make an end of all flesh, for the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Make yourself an ark of gopher wood. Make rooms in the ark and cover it inside and out with pitch. And then the next few verses are going to be details. If you're a detail person, the, the instructions of what the ark uh, is to look like, uh, how he's built it. And um, so I'm going to pick it up at 17. Uh, it says, For behold, I will bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh in which um, is the breath of life under heaven. Everything that is on the earth shall die. But I will establish my covenant with you, and you shall come into the ark, you, your sons, your wife, and your sons' wives with you. And of every living thing of all flesh, you shall bring two of every sort of into the ark to keep them alive with you. They shall be male and female. Of the birds according to their kinds, and of the animals according to their kinds, of every creeping thing on the ground according to its kind, two of every sort shall come in to you and keep them alive. Now, after this, we're going to find a, a lot of the information that it get, really gets watered down um, in some of the kid, kid versions of things. But after this, he is put into the ark um, and and he is secured within the ark it, it, it was a kind of interesting uh, I just saw this this morning I, it wasn't part of my original studies throughout the week but um, a friend of mine sent out a, a post uh, on Facebook talking about Noah just out of the blue and was talking about how they just kind of always assumed that God gave him all the instructions so he'd be safe in this boat that he made but they always miss the point where it says that once they all got into the ark, that God sealed the ark. And, and I just, I love that. that they, Noah moved by faith. He did everything that God called him to do. And then God sealed him into it. And God was his protection. Um, that, that's, that, that's a wonderful point about faith as far as being able to trust him and know that he's got us instead of us trying to somehow protect ourselves in the middle of this craziness that he calls us to that he's got us and I just I love that point uh, another thing that stands out as we go through 621 through 724 is a basic ballpark of things um, <clears throat> is that rain for 40 days um, upon, upon the earth it took, would have taken about um, I think I read like six or seven of those days to get to the point where um, people were dead um, outside, and, and I find that haunting um, to have to be Noah, knowing that people are at about day three, day four, smacking on the side of the uh, the oak. That's kind of a grinsome, heartbreaking thing to me. 
Um, but there's also something beautiful within that 40 days of rain. But you, you might have heard different people talking different times. It seems like God has certain numbers <clears throat> that he likes to use. And they mean different things as we study them in the scripture. And anytime that you find 40, uh, 40 days, 40 nights, this type of things, uh, it, it's almost always, if not always, uh, represents a transformation, a new beginning, a change in someone's life, a new calling into their life. Uh, if you think about Jesus being in the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights after his baptism um, and fasting, it was his transformation from his private life to his public life. Uh, it, it was getting prepared for that temptation from Satan um, that, that came in in such a unique, intense way, trying to keep him from that ministry. Uh, the same here, 40 days of rain is significant. Uh, there, there's a transformation, uh, a, a new growth, um, a new agenda is, is why we had the 40 days. Um, <clears throat> the, some of the things are kind of wild too within this. It also gives us the description that uh, by the end of the rain that the flood was so great that it covered the mountains. And when it says cover the mountains, it does say that it, it covers it by a little bit more than 22 feet. That it was 22 and a half feet, I think it is. Um, above the mountain ranges. Uh, so there's nothing, nothing that, that the flood didn't touch and overwhelm. Um, it's, I, I was in my studies, it was kind of interesting. I, I saw, I, I think it was the Himalayas, um, like they were talking about, like people ask questions like, it covered the Himalayas? No, it created the Himalayas. And that, that's one thing I, <clears throat> I found interesting is that a lot of the mountains that we kind of try to compare it to and put it over, um, th there's good reason to believe that the mountains were not as high, but they were high um, as some of the mountains we have in, that, in, in the world today, and that the flood and the pressure of the flood created that imbalance to raise uh, some of the mountain ranges, and, and according to this study, the Himalayas were created by the flood. Uh, so that's, that's interesting to me. Either way, I mean, it was a massive massive overwhelming flood. Um, it's very clear in, in this section that everyone and everything that's not uh, in the hands of God in that ark uh, passes. Uh, and then it takes about 150 days for the water to prevail, for the, the, uh, to, to uh, rescind to, to enough that it's dry, dry ground. Matter of fact, if you look at uh, timelines of Noah's testimony, um, the, from the point they entered the ark to the point they got out of the ark was about a year and two months. Uh, so there, there's quite a bit there to, to study. But what I want to jump into is um, over to chapter 8, uh, starting out in verse 1, where the flood uh, subsides. <clears throat> so let's read a little bit there. But God remembered Noah and all the beasts and all the livestock that were with him in the ark. And again, wonderful usage of the word, but there's this massive destruction all over the world, but God remembers Noah and the beast and all the livestock are with him in the ark. Now God made a wind blow over the earth and the water subsided. The fountains of the deep and the windows of the heavens were closed. The rain from the heavens were restrained and the waters receded from the earth continually. At the end of 150 days the water was abated. And in the seventh month, on the seventeenth day of the month, the ark came to rest on the mountains of Arad. Uh, and if you ever want to do an interesting study, um, again, this is more from a Google perspective than a biblical study. There's a lot of interesting uh, facts as, uh, or um, claims and um, stories about finding the ark and uh, where that's at, even though it's in a heavily guarded like Muslim country. <clears throat> there are some interesting stories there if you want to look at that. Uh, verse 5, And the waters continued to abate until the tenth month, and the tenth month on the first day of the month, the tops of the mountains were seen. So, so now we start seeing uh, some the land come up. Now, through the next several verses, 6 uh, through 19, um, we see a series of tests that Noah does. He sends out a dove on the test um, to, to, to see what happens. Uh, and the dove can't find land, so he comes back. Uh, second test, he sends out the dove again. Um, the dove goes flying around a little bit, and then he comes back, and it's got uh, like a, a leaf and its beak, which is encouraging. Okay, now we're starting to get vegetation. We're starting to get earth again. Um, and so he waits a while again, and he uh, sends out the dove again, and it never comes back. 
So at this point, he opens up the oak to take a look and finds that it's dry ground all around them. Um, and so he's able to open up the oak. Uh, animals go free, his family goes free, and they have a fresh new start, this new transformation that came with that 40 days of rain and uh, the, the continual journey that it put them on. Um, let's go over to chapter 8, verse 20. And this gives us the reaction of what happens after he finally gets off the boat. Uh, then Noah built an ark to the Lord and took some of every clean animal and some of every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. And that might sound weird because I had two, but they also had babies in there, you know what I'm saying? So he offers an, an offering to, to the Lord on the altar. He honors him first before anything else. And when the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground because of man, for the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I ever strike down every living creature as I have done. While the earth remains, sea time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night, shall never cease. And God blessed Noah and his sons, and said to him, Be fruitful, and multiply, and fill the earth. The fear of you and the dread of you shall be upon every beast of the earth, and upon every bird of the heavens, upon everything that creeps on the ground, and all the fish of the sea, into your hand they are delivered. Um, go over chapter 9, verse 8, and we'll pick up this last section here. Where it says, Then God said to Noah, again, verse 8, chapter 9, uh, going into verse 9. Behold, I establish my covenant with you and your offspring after you, and with every living creature that is with you, the birds, the livestock, and every beast of the earth with you, as many as came out of the ark. It is for every beast of the earth. I establish my covenant with you that never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood, and never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. And then God said, This is the sign of my covenant that I have made between me and you and every living creature that is with you for all future generations. I have set my rainbow in the cloud, and I, it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. When I bring clouds over the earth and the rainbow is seen in the clouds, I will remember my covenant that is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh. And the water shall never again become a flood to destroy all flesh. When the rainbow is in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth. God said to Noah, This is the sign of the covenant that I have established between me and all flesh that is on the earth. Uh, we have talked several times in the past about covenants and how important they are. <coughs> the, um, there's two types of covenants, man to man, or person to person. Uh, and person of God, or God to person, actually. Um, when we make a covenant uh, as man, it's a very serious commitment. And how it looks throughout the, 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 the scripture and it continues in our life today, if I make a covenant with somebody else, for instance, Jenny and I just had our anniversary um, yesterday, and that was a covenant that we made with one another, uh, one that God, God's designed. Um, and with that, it means that we have a set terms that we agree upon, and then there's something tangible that we do to seal that into place. Uh, so like in Jesus' day, the example I always use is uh, if a man and uh, another man decide their children were going to get married when they, they get older, um, they would sit down and work out the terms of that agreement, and then the sign of that covenant, the tangible of that covenant, uh, was that they would reach across and, and grab each other's thighs, which again, glad we don't do that one anymore, but that was a, a serious thing. And if you broke that, that was a majorly serious thing because we have made a covenant with one another. Um, same with Jenny and I when we got married. We, we had set terms, we had our vows, we had agreements in place, and this ceremony, um, and, of our wedding was the covenant. The signing of that paper the, uh, was that covenant uh, that put in the place and should be extremely um, important to do everything you can to keep that that covenant. And again, there, there are, I'm not going to get a big thing on divorce, but there are things that God uh, allows within and divorce those type of things, but the point is, is that marriage is serious, um, 
commitment that we may have entered into. Here we have an example of a covenant between God and us. Uh, and the difference there, the only difference is God sets all the terms and we don't set any terms. I mean, thankfully he's not compromising with me because I'm an idiot compared to God. So God gives the terms. I'm never going to do this again uh, and I'm making that covenant with you that I will not destroy the earth by water again. And um, the covenant, the tangible, is the rainbow. Is that when we see the rainbow in the sky, uh, it reminds us that God has given us that promise. That, that's the purpose of the rainbow. Uh, it's they're beautiful. Uh, I get, uh, and I marvel at them when we take pictures and we put them all over Facebook. But the covenant purpose of that rainbow is to remind us that God has given His word to us and has never violated it. Uh, in the same way, and this is the part that I think is amazing, God's looking on that rainbow, uh, and it's a reminder to him, which means there's times that I think God gets tempted to, to smack us on the butt. You know, like he gets he gets tempted and frustrated at what creation has become. Uh, but he's like, oh, yep, rainbow, rainbow. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to flood him out. I'm not going to do that again. Um, so I, I find that to be rather amazing and a, a perfect way to uh, to bring Noah's testimony uh, to to a close that's to, in a way that still impacts us today for all of his offspring. So with that, here's what I want to do is I just kind of want to give you a couple of pointers from his life uh, that, uh, again, kind of the same mentality of what I do for most of my, my Bible studies is what stands out to me, you know, what, what, what stands out that I can take and run with this in my own life. Uh, and there's a few, uh, and again, our note takers are going to get ready here. Um, of how do we take this and apply it to Hebrews 11, tap, tap, uh, verse 1. I'm going to read that verse to you again. <clears throat> Incredible verse. How do we apply all of that to us when it comes to faith? Faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. And if I bring that to it, here's a few things that stand out, at least to me. Um, Noah, this is point one, Noah had no earthly reason to believe. No, had no earthly reason to have faith and, and do what God called him to do. Um, a, a few thoughts to consider. Um, there had never, never been a flood of, of this magnitude possibly ever, which I'll talk about in this next point, um, that he could even possibly get his head around what he was dealing with. Um, I think... Probably the closest thing I compare it to in my own life is 9-11. When uh, we're watching on the TV screens what was uh, happening, uh, and I, it, it was just a state of shock. It was a state of, this isn't, this isn't okay. This isn't even possible. You know, you just, you never even fathomed that kind of uh, attack before uh, using planes into these towers. In these buildings, um, that that would be somewhat what Noah had, trying to listen to God about what was to come and trying to get his head around what what does that even look like? Um, it just would make no sense. On top of that, um, there's a, a theory that I I tend to lean towards at this point in my life. Again, it's not a salvation issue, but um, there's a theory that it's possible not only had he never dealt with flood, but he had never dealt with rain before. Um, when you look in Genesis, I'll give you the, the scriptures, you can look at it, Genesis 2, um, 5 through 7, Genesis 2, 5 through 7. Um, it talks about at that point in creation that there had not been rain, that there was a mist upon um, the, 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 the garden, uh, on the world. There was a, uh, streams you know, that, and, and water, bodies of water that God uh, used to water the earth, but there had not been any rain at that point. Um, and the theory goes um, that we never hear anything about rain until the flood. And there were those, and again, I, I tend to lean this way, that believes that the environment was, was different. It was still the, that, that feeding of the, this mist and the, 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 the feeding of the, the rivers and the streams, that rain would never, never happen before. And if that is true, uh, I don't even know how Noah would get to the idea of trying to understand the flood when he's still going, wait, what's rain? 
what, what, what does that look like? What, what are you talking about? Um, it was a brand new concept, if that part is true. And I remember, and I, I did go back into my studies this week, and I, I just couldn't find good information on it. But I do remember in studies in the past of talking about that there wasn't even really a huge body of water close to uh, where Noah lived. There was water so that they survived, but it wasn't a huge body of water where boats would even be necessary. Um, so th there was multiple reasons that he had to not really even move forward in faith, that, that all this seemed way too far-fetched. Um, so that that's one thing to consider, because I think we find ourselves in that boat oftentimes as well. Uh, the second thing that stood out to me is that Noah had no... Uh, no, I'm sorry, Noah had earthly reasons not to believe. Not only did he have reasons um, to, to, to believe, uh, he had no earthly reason to believe, he had earthly reasons to not want to believe. Uh, first off, this would be a great loss to Noah. Everything that he loved and had and uh, adored over those 500 years outside of his family was gone was gone. Um, there was a great sacrifice that God asked of Noah uh, to lose everything outside of the, just the, that immediate family. On top of that is the, um, the great loss of the people that he knew. Uh, friends, relatives, um, neighbors, people in the town that he lived, uh, that all these people for, I, I think, not only was it like a year and two months that they were <clears throat> in the, the ark, but I think it was a year and a half. I think maybe I have my notes coming up here. No, it was 120 years to build it. This is a massive project, and they go through that entire time knowing that everyone else was lost uh, and would could not be saved. Um, would be overwhelming uh, to not want to believe that God. I just I, I don't want to think um, or even accept that Bill next door is going to perish. Um, so. <clears throat> but but it was the case that God told him it was, and um, it seemed that he accepted what God said. Uh, there was no record in the scripture that over that time that he's going out around the world trying to find one other righteous family that they could play euchre with on the, the ark. It, it was just the fact of what God God said it was. Um, and then another reason not to believe is the project he was called to was crazy. Uh, it's just over the top. Um, uh, the the oak itself was over 450 feet long, which is about if you put two large airplanes nose nose to nose. Um, and, and and those of you who have been to the oak encounter will will, will testify to this. 450 feet long, <clears throat> 75 feet wide, 45 feet high. Again, it took about 120 years to build, um, and no vessel larger than the oak was built. Uh, until 1858, for, for almost 2,000, uh, 4,000 years, uh, did they ever have the technology to make something larger uh, to float on water than, than the ark. But nonetheless, he went in all, all, all in with God. Uh, so he had no earthly reason to believe. He had earthly reasons not to want to believe. And then he also had earthly reasons to believe he was not good enough. He, he shouldn't be the one that was called, he had earthly reasons to believe that he was not good enough to do what God was calling him to do. Um, <clears throat> again, I'll just throw out a, a couple of little points of this one. Uh, his age, again, would be um, advanced, even for the extended life periods. Um, the views of other people had of him doing that over a century of building that boat uh, and his family and being made fun of and, and trashed upon, um, comparing himself to others and them having fun, them having uh, worldly success, them having uh, things that they gauge differently than how God uh, does things would make him uh, <clears throat> at least tempted, I would think, uh, to give up on this sweat back-breaking work for so long and just say, well, I'll just do what everybody else does. Um, and so there's a lot of reasons I think he had that you and I have uh, when we see something God wants us to do or causes us to do and we don't think we're good enough or strong enough or that that's going to be more sacrifice than what we want to do. Um, and the, the, 
you, you might say, well, Noah, you know, he's Noah. He's he's like Paul. He's never going to screw up. Um, I mean, Noah was was a man, and he, he was a righteous man, thankfully. But uh, nonetheless, he, he made mistakes. We actually find uh, after the flood, um, I'll give you the reference. It's Genesis 9, 20 through 29. And I, I remember the first time I came across this scripture, it was in a English class that I had in high school. It was called Bible as Literature. We couldn't study the Bible as Bible, but we could study the Bible as literature. And <clears throat> the teacher wanted us to kind of get past that um, image that all the bi- heroes of the Bible were perfect or somehow different than, than us. And she brought up this description and said, but, but you never heard this one in church, and I hadn't. Um, but in Genesis 9, towards the end, we find later on after the, the ark and all these beautiful, incredible things go on, Noah starts a vineyard, uh, makes his own wine, gets drunk, and is laying naked on his bed, um, and how his sons handle that situation. And um, the thing that's kind of wild about that is in paganism, paganism is kind of defined by two things, drunkenness and uh, sexuality. Um, and here's Noah taking and exhibiting both after the flood, and he was saved from, from those things. Um, doesn't mean that he went to hell for that because he screwed up once. It just means that he's not perfect. And he knew that in himself when he went through all this. So he had every reason to know uh, or, or, or to struggle with that a little bit. Uh, yet he moved forward. Yet he moved forward. Uh, so with, with that, I want to go back to Hebrews 11.1 1 again. I know I keep coming back to it, but there's a reason. Um, now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. Now that we've looked at Noah's life, I want to look at those words a little bit deeper. And as we do, think about how I had every reason to pull away, but yet he moved forward, and how he moved forward, which is by faith, and why he celebrated in Hebrews 11. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of not things not seen. Assurance means a positive declaration intended to give com- confidence, a promise. So when we use faith like Noah used faith, we are assured about the things we hope for. We're, we are making a positive declaration by moving forward, following God, His promises, His direction, uh, leaning into our spiritual gifts. It's a positive declaration that we attend to use and that God uses to give us confidence to move forward in the things that we're hoping for but didn't have not seen. Um, there's so many moments, so many moments that we need that. Um, the second part, a conviction. A conviction means this, the quality that one is firmly convinced of what one believes or says. The quality that one is firmly convinced of what one believes or said. We are convicted of the things not seen. Convicted of the things not seen. That's, look at those two things in Noah's life, and it's, it's overwhelming what he did before he saw any physical evidence, before anything made sense, before uh, how much he sacrificed without any tangible proof um, that God was going to do what God said he was going to do, but he had faith, he was convicted of it, he was assured of it by his God, and that's all that mattered, and he moved forward in his mission and had great, great impact. Um, I've brought up a couple times over the years uh, a book called uh, Running with the Giants by John Maxwell. Uh, Running with the Giants, uh, with John Maxwell. It, it's a it's a good book. It's an easy read, a good book, uh, and it comes from the standpoint of um, the the that we're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. We're going to talk about that in a second, and um, and, and we're running the race by faith. And he he puts together this book from a standpoint that if he's running laps at the high school uh, track. Uh, and these heroes of the faith are cheering for him um, from the sidelines that, that he's surrounded by. Then what if each one was able to come down and run lap with him? And by running one lap with him, uh, they can only tell him one thing to encourage him in his own race. Um, 
<clears throat> it's it's kind of an expensive book now because it's been been out for so long. I, I think I've had mine now for uh, probably 20, 25 years. Um, but you can still get the ebook uh, for less than ten bucks. So or you might be able to find it used on Amazon. Good, but again, a good good read to go through. But the one that I always go back to is his chapter on Noah. And so if Noah can come out of the stands and run, run, laugh with us, what was the one thing he would say to encourage us um, in our faith? And it's interesting. Uh, I'm, all of us could probably come up with different things that he could say uh, after our study. But John, the author, his uh, statement was Noah would say to us, one man can make a difference or one person can make a difference. Um, and when you look at that from that standpoint, it's incredible that that's true, that if at any point in Noah's life, any point in his calling, any point of his uh, walk, he just decided to pull back. Um, it's too hard. Nobody else is with me. I'm too. It's too lonely. There's too much sacrifice. There's too much emotion to this. Uh, at, at any point that he just said, you know what, I'm just going to live, drink, eat, be merry, that's it. You and I wouldn't be here, according to the scripture. There would have been no one to find favor in the eyes of God if he didn't do it. We 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 still don't fully know if his wife and kids <laughs> found favor in the eyes of God, or if Noah saved his family. Um, but he saved us. He saved me. I'm here because there's still mankind, and according to the scripture. That was not going to be without Noah, his faith, his moving forward, for him to say, here I am, Lord. And I know that a lot of us have different struggles, and I know a lot of us are going through different challenges, whether it be financial, relational, uh, things at work, trying to decide if we're going to end a relationship, leave a relationship. Um, if, if, if we just don't feel like doing what God's calling us to do, so we ignore that call, or we make jokes, or uh, become passive about that call uh, to lighten that feeling. Uh, if, if we have excuses, uh, like our age or our physical limitations, um, if all those things are in place, and we look at our spiritual gifts, we look at the, what God's calling us to do, The way you empower yourself to move forward, brother, sister, is faith, it's conviction, it's assurance of the things that we don't quite understand yet, but we hope for. And that is how we are able to, to move forward into these new ways. Um, and it's a new start. It's a new start. Maybe for some of us, we need a whole new transformation today. Talked about the symbolism and the, the way that God looks at the number 40. Um, the, it was interesting, I was looking through how God sees the flood. And I know a lot of times we look at the disaster and the judgment. Um, but the flood wiped out all sin. It gave us a whole fresh new start. Again, we go right back to it, but uh, better, stronger, growing, maturing. And uh, you look at the flood, and I look at baptism, and I'm like, look how God moves. Look how God gives us these new starts. Look at God, how he loves us, and how much we can trust him and move forward in an active, active way. Um, and let him empower us in our life and our missions and our spiritual gifts um, instead of hiding or trying to push those things aside. He gives us opportunities. He gives us callings. He gives us commandments. He gives us instructions to grow in these areas by faith. Uh, I, the other day, I just happened to catch, I think it was on YouTube or something, because I just saw the little part of it. Um, but some of you guys have seen Evan Almighty. Uh, it was a sequel to Boost Almighty. <clears throat> and if you know the basic concept it's uh, Morgan Freeman plays God and all the things that happen. And uh, th there's actually some pretty good points. It's not 100% biblically uh, corrected as Hollywood, but there's actually several good points in both, both movies. But in the second one, uh, Evan is a guy that is very uh, tied up into his 
work and his politics and his fame and and um, God does a Noah's Ark with him, uh, literally a Noah's Ark with him. He he caused him to build an ark in his neighborhood in Washington D.C. and all the crazy things that happen and stuff. And in it, uh, his wife, who was struggling with him being so devoted to his uh, to his work and was never home, never with the kids, prays to God that God brings their family together. And so uh, then when all this happens, she gets completely freaked out and she leaves with the kids and everybody's talking about them, making fun of them and stuff. And she stops by this roadside diner and um, she's talking to the waiter who is Morgan Freeman. It's supposed to be God coming to her in the form of a waiter and she doesn't know. And she's, um, they get into a conversation and tells him about all this madness and all the craziness and what are you supposed to do with this when your husband's telling you that God told him to build an ark and uh, your whole world's falling apart and stuff. And he starts talking about, and I, I'm not overly nuts about the first half of what he says, uh, but not fully against it either. It's just, again, Hollywood. But he's talk, talking about the love story of, of Noah's Ark and, and how God loves, um, shows his love through it and kind of a again which he does but I have a different view and then he says um, something to the effect of do you think when people pray to God for patience does he just dump a bunch of patience on them or does he give them opportunity to be patient uh, do, do you think um, when people pray to be more loving do you think I just gives them love and uh, loving those he give them opportunities to love and then he says to him do you think when people pray to god to bring the family closer together which if she immediately connects like how in the world would he even know this um he goes do you do you think he just makes that happen or do you think he gives them opportunities to come together and then he's you know on the on on his way into scene as she goes back uh he gives us opportunities to grow in our spiritual gifts. He gives us opportunities to grow in our relationships, in our evangelism, in, uh, in our mission, in our life, in our joy. And it takes faith to be able to move those things forward. And so my, my hope is as you lean on some of these things, talk to God about them, study more in the scripture, go into some of these other testimonies uh, in, in Hebrews and see just the beauty of what we have. Uh, because there's so much there. Let me read you this, and uh, I'll close with this. As a matter of fact, I'll go ahead and ask the worship team to come up and uh, lead us into offering and then worship through music. But as they they come back, I, I will take and uh, read you this verse. This is Hebrews 12, uh, 1 through 2, and this kind of the wrap-up of Hebrews 11, which says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, back to Perfect John's book here, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses let us also lay aside every weight every sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that's set before us looking to Jesus the founder and perfecter of our faith who for the joy that was set before him adored the cross despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of, of the throne of God who for Jesus looking to Jesus the one who's gone through so much they can say, I can do that. I can do that. Here I am, Lord. And find favor in the eyes of God. We pray.